Good morning. There's something funny about memories in that they can be really strongly evoked by something simple like a distinct smell or a, a sound or the taste of something. For example, for me, there's a particular brand of tobacco. I've got no idea what the name is, but if I walk past someone and they're smoking it, it takes me straight back to my granddad. Uh, he died when I was a little boy and about 30 years later, if I smell that, that particular brand of smoke, I can almost feel the, the itchy jumper as he gave me a hug. It's such an, a powerful memory evoking smell. And also um, another memory of evoking uh, taste for me, or even the sight of it is golden syrup, particularly from a big can with a big tablespoon. My Nana used to make a, a cake it was a terrible cake, but what it got served with was a big spoonful of golden syrup. And this golden syrup would ooze down and just create this unctuous sweet mess that was amazing. And when I see that or taste it, I'm taken straight back there in an instant. Do you have anything that evokes memories like that? Perhaps it's a, a song that plays that takes you back to good times with friends. Maybe after this morning's meeting, you could uh, discuss it with whoever you're with and talk about what those memory evoking smells and tastes are. Now, unfortunately, these memories aren't always uh, good ones. For instance, there's a, a detergent. I've got no idea again what the, the brand is, but when I smell it, I'm taken back to a hospital bedside again in an instant, a time that was acutely quite a painful time for me. And there's also a song that as soon as it plays, I'm taken back to just a really shameful time, a memory that I would love to wipe away and to erase from my past. Do you have any of those triggers, things that bring up negative memories, the taste of tequila perhaps, or is there a sound or a smell if you do have any of these negative memory evoking triggers, and perhaps you could sympathize with uh, Peter that we're going to read about today. We're continuing in our series of Jesus encounters, and today we're meeting uh, a coward who encounters Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles ready, then turn to John chapter 21, and we're going to be re reading from verses 2 to 19. Simon Peter. Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped, and plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. 
When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. A second time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. After saying this, he told them, follow me. So this morning's passage is set after Jesus's death and resurrection. The disciples have already witnessed that he is alive. And we're focusing this morning on uh, Jesus's interaction with Peter. And at first glance, it seems quite an awkward little barbecue exchange where Jesus is asking him a fairly probing question three times, repeating himself. But if we're to understand this passage and put it in context, we need to understand a few other passages that have gone before because this uh, part of scripture refers back, there's a couple of callbacks that we need to address if, before we look at this coward meeting Jesus. So firstly, why is Peter a coward? Well, in John chapter 18, we're going to read about Peter's response to his master, his saviour, his, his teacher being arrested and taken to trial. And that's where we catch up with the story now. This next reading is taken from John chapter 18. We're going to start in verses 15 to 18 and then we're going to jump to verse 25. So verse 15 says this. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. That disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained standing outside by the door. So the other disciple, the one known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the slaves and the temple police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves and Peter was standing with them warming himself. And now we're going to jump to verse 25 and it says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself and they said to him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off said, Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter then denied it again. Immediately a rooster crowed. See, when push came to shove, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. This wasn't just a offhand comment or spur of the moment, felt pressured into it. 
but this was three separate occasions he denied flat out knowing his Lord, his master. And to make matters worse, Peter had set himself up to be somewhat of a, a disciple star, a disciple plus. He had been more zealous, in his own opinion anyway, in his commitment to Jesus. We can read about that in Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to read verses 33 to 35. Peter told him, even if everyone runs away because of you, I will never run away. I assure you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. So you see, Peter declared himself as the greatest supporter of Christ, the Jesus ultra fan, if you will. He was going to lay down his life for Jesus. Even if the others ran away, he'd be there. But he wasn't. Not then anyway. In his own eyes, Peter had put himself as the natural, natural candidate to lead the fan club. However, despite these strong claims, Jesus knows that he's going to deny him and he tells him so. And we see in the account we've just read, that's exactly what Peter does. He denies Christ three times. To make matters worse as well, all four gospel accounts of Jesus's life record this moment where Peter denies Jesus. That's a tough break for Peter, having your most shameful acts recorded in four separate ways. However, did you notice that in John's description of Peter's denial, there's an interesting detail that's there. And it's the fact that Peter denied whilst he was warming himself in front of a charcoal fire. And we read in this morning's account where Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? This all has taken place in front of a charcoal fire. Now, I don't want to stretch this comparison to beyond what it can hold, but I do believe that detail's there for a good reason. And as we're talking about memories and what they evoked, you can only imagine when Peter is stood in front of a shimmering coals of a, of a charcoal fire and smelling that acrid smoke, that that's gonna be evoking memories of a night where he has denied knowing his Lord, his savior, his teacher, someone who he said that he would stick by no matter what. He denied knowing him three times. It would have been a night that he would want to erase from his memory. A real shameful night. So I hope that you see within the context of what's gone before, this isn't actually the awkward exchange where Jesus is laboring a point three times, but it's actually a loving pastoral conversation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus acknowledges the past. They don't just ignore it and try and move on. He acknowledges the past, but he's wiped the slate clean with Peter. See, he gives Peter the amazing opportunity to undo each time that he had denied Christ on three separate occasions. He's able to undo it by giving a testimony of his love for Jesus. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what's more, that first question, do you love me more than these, gives him opportunity to undo his bravado where he said, even if everyone runs away, I'll be there. He doesn't just now, well, Peter's learned, hasn't he? He doesn't rely on his own impulses, his own uh, strength of emotion. He relies on Christ's knowledge of him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. This is an amazing display of grace by Christ. 
You see, Peter's now not left wondering whether he's permanently removed himself from fellowship with Christ because of his denial. He's not left wondering whether he's now just barely accepted back into the fold. He is more than tolerated. Jesus, again, just goes beyond what is expected. Not only does he forgive Peter, give him an opportunity to, to uh, reverse what's gone on, but he actually gives him an, a role. He commissions him. He's more than accepted. He is given a purpose. And you can see from his commissioning that this is, again, another callback to a different passage where in Luke chapter 5, it's sort of Peter's uh, original calling by Christ. Now, we're not going to read it. It's, it's too long, but it has amazing similarities with this morning's passage. We have fishermen working on a boat, toiling away, not catching anything. Christ on the shore, uh, giving them a command, a miraculous catch. And then Peter says, if you follow me, I will make you fishermen of men. I'm going to put you in charge of people. I'm going to give you a purpose and a role within the kingdom. Peter is fully restored and forgiven and given that purpose once more. He was going to be instrumental in how Jesus built his church. So this is all rather neat and ties up a, a lot of loose ends for our ancient impulsive friend Peter. But what's the application for us today? Well, I think the key take-home message, if you to take one thing, would be that if you turn to Jesus with a penitent heart like Peter did, then you can know true and absolute forgiveness. See, Peter didn't earn his forgiveness. He wasn't asked whether he'd wept bitterly or done enough peasant, pen, penance. Sorry, He was simply asked whether he loved Jesus. And having declared his love for Jesus, he wasn't just tolerated, deemed now only just acceptable. He was forgiven and then given a purpose. But what qualified him for the role that he'd been given? Well, as we can read, not a lot. He had denied knowing Christ three times, a shameful act where he's denied knowing his teacher, his Lord, his master, someone he declared to be uh, the, the greatest person. He'd been a coward. And just as if to emphasise this point of failure, Jesus actually comes to the disciples in the midst of their, I suppose, their secular work failure. They're all fishermen by trade, yet they toiled all night and caught nothing. There is no qualification um, or success with which Jesus is harnessing here and utilising and steering in his direction. This was where the church leaders were commissioned. There is no clear qualification criteria here other than the fact that they loved and trusted Jesus. The Peter of old had been really confident in himself, in his own emotions, that he would follow Jesus even to death. But that bravado is now gone. That secret coward had encountered Jesus. He was completely undone. But like a masterful surgeon of the soul, Jesus went to where the pain was greatest and he dealt with it and lovingly restored Peter back and gave him a purpose and made him a leader and a rock once more.
Now for us, the same qualification criteria are there. You do not have to earn your forgiveness. You don't need to be successful in your career or your life choices. Jesus is going to pursue you in the midst of your failure and your success regardless. Your only criteria is that you need to respond to his question, do you love me? Now, I love watching a program called SAS Who Dares Wins. It's a program in which contestants uh, try to see whether they could pass the equivalent of the notorious SAS selection process. And there was one guy on it recently who, who did really well. I think he made it to the final. He might have completed the whole thing. And he, as I said, he, he did amazingly well. And he'd had a, a murky past. Um, it turned out that he'd been involved in, in gangs. And despite having turned his life around, it was very interesting that it came across in his conversation with the drill sergeants or his fellow contestants that there was such sorrow in him. He'd say things like, oh, you don't, you don't know me, you don't know what I've been like. And whilst watching it, my wife put a finger on it pretty much straight away. And she said, he needs to know forgiveness. And she was right. He had proved himself. He could show that he was physically strong enough, that he was emotionally robust enough to take the selection process. He had earned the respect of the drill sergeants and the admiration of his fellow contestants. But what he was lacking was knowing that he had been forgiven for his past. But there's only one person who can forgive you totally. Because there's only one person who knows everything that you've done that needs forgiveness for. And also there's only one person who's loved you enough to pay the price for that. If you're not a Christian, do you want to know true forgiveness? If you do, then I implore you to put your trust in Christ and what he has done for you. Then the words that Paul wrote in Romans 8, which we heard a couple of weeks ago, it sounds so sweet. It says, therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Now, if you are a Christian, I'm hoping you've already answered or you put yourself in the place of Peter and answered those questions three times. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In which case, I'd ask you to focus on the threefold response of Christ. Now, admittedly, this was spoken to Peter and Peter was going to be instrumental in the building and the establishment of the church. And yes, we're not all called to be early church fathers, um, witnessing to thousands and being martyred for our faith in Christ. However, I do think that if we are answering the same question to the same person, with the same answer, then the instruction that follows can be applied to us, albeit within our own context. So we have, in answer to Peter's, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, we have near three near identical responses. If you love Jesus, he wants you to feed his sheep. He wants you to shepherd his flock. In other words, he wants you to take really good care of the people in his care that he's put in your care. Now note that he doesn't say, I want you to take good care of your flock, of your sheep, or the flock or the sheep. 
but he wants you to take care of my sheep. They're still his sheep today. Now, I think this is an uncomfortable challenge as we sink ever more into an individualistic mindset of, well, it's me and my Jesus, and we're just going to work this out together. You'll quite often hear the comments along the lines of, I love Jesus, but the church and I just, we just don't get along. And to be fair, it's an understandable comment as well. Because let's face it, the church is made of broken people like me and like you. But I think when we read Jesus' response to Peter, I think he thinks quite differently. He didn't change his response. He didn't throw in slightly more practical items. He kept it the same. This was the commissioning of Peter, yes, as a leader, but it's also an important commissioning for us too. Do we love Jesus? In which case, we need to feed his sheep. We need to shepherd his sheep. We need to take really good care of those that are in his flock. We're called then to be part of his flock, to be a people interested in the welfare of his people. Now, in this COVID-ridden world, as we in the UK sink back into more uh, lockdown measures, this can be really hard. Everyone is getting Zoom fatigue. Virtual meetings just aren't the same, are they? But I don't think the passage this morning just allows us to shrug our shoulders and say, okay, well, we'll have to just wait until COVID's run its course. I believe that Jesus is going to ask us the same as he did Peter. Do you love me? And his response will be the same as we say, yes, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep. Take really good care of those who are in your care, in your flock. So I'd ask you this morning that as you go out into to the week ahead, look for opportunities to take really good care of the people in your care, in Jesus's care ultimately. Although I would say, remember that this isn't a way of qualifying yourself for a role or earning forgiveness. This is in response to a saviour who has done everything for you, who's forgiven you and set you free. God bless, guys.